Yep, 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 Fucking hell. Wait, I haven't done the intro in a long time. Kate needs to do the intro in a long time. Okay, go for it. Welcome to That's Showbiz, baby. So I just did want to talk about this for a second. Um, Kate is visiting Calgary so we can record the podcast. And she's staying with her sister, Kim. And Kim had a birthday party. So we went to Kim's birthday party. Kim has two children. So the younger one, once we had all assembled to celebrate Kim's birthday... Kim said, so my youngest child has a original composition that they would like to share with you. <laughs> then she sat on the steps. She sat on the steps with this little, like, keyboard, like pad. tiny little children's keyboard that they have. Yeah. And <laughs> she just, like, and it went on for, like, quite a long time. It was, like, like a, one of those preset songs that are part of the keyboard. Yeah. So she pushed play. And then we all silently listened, and she stared us down. Like, was making intense, unblinking eye contact with every note she played. It was the most amazing thing. I was in tears because I just loved it so much. Kate was weeping. She I was, was. fully weeping. And I was just like... Uh, it was the best moment of my life. I was trying to, like... Because I didn't want her to feel feel like I was like laughing at her. That's true. I did. Think so I was that. like trying to hide it so hard, but I just like could not deal. It was insanely amazing, and I will treasure that memory forever. Today we're talking about trans people. Dun dun dun! Real hot button topic. That's a real hot mic, there, fellas. Real hot mic. <laughs> Trigger warning. First of all. This episode contains descriptions of transphobia, sexual abuse, suicidal thoughts. If that would be bad for you or triggering for you, just skip this one. Just sit this just one out. Sit this one out. And we'll see you uh, in a couple weeks because we're actually going to split this episode into two parts. So the first part is just going to be me. It's just going to be original <laughs> recipe. And the second part, we're interviewing two trans people who I live with. Moving right along. Moving right along. We're going to start off with a quote from the novel Annabelle by Kathleen Winters. So this this novel is by a Canadian author, and it's about a child who is neither neither fully male nor fully female. And he she is born into the spare and devastating landscape of Newfoundland in the 60s. What a time to be alive. God, I feel bad for him. Must have been so hard to be trans in the 60s. Can you imagine? Yeah, Anyways, he's a fictional now, so. character, but... So this is, this quote is from the child's perspective. He wished at that moment that his whole life had not been a secret, that lots of people were like him, instead of his being alone in a world where everyone was secure in their place as either woman or man. His aloneness was what made him feel ashamed, and he did not know why it had to be so. And then this quote is from the mother's perspective. Whenever she imagined her child grown up without interference from a judgmental world, she imagined its male and female halves as complementing each other and as being secretly, almost magically powerful. Okay, so I wanted to talk about this because it's become such a polarizing issue and such a, like, Republicans, conservatives really want to talk about. It seems like it just really, really bugs them. 
So not even just in Christianity, but worldwide, people get really upset about it. And I just, I need to understand why. <laughs> I also live with two non-binary individuals and one trans woman. So right now I'm in a place where trans people are a big part of my life. And before it was just kind of like theoretical. I was like, yeah, that seems harsh for them. But I didn't actually know any trans people. Now I, I'm not sure if I know any cisgendered people. So. <laughs> But before we get into all that, let's go through some helpful definitions. School time! <laughs> so in the vernacular, sex is meant uh, your reproduction as well as physical and biological makeup. So sex can refer to things like chromosomes, genitalia, and hormonal activity. The biggest point we want to make here is that when we're talking about these issues, sex is not the same as gender. So just because someone has a penis doesn't make them a man. Just like having a vagina doesn't necessarily make someone a woman. It's only within the last few centuries that masculinity, femininity have been defined as a set of certain characteristics. For example, with masculinity, tough, doesn't talk about their feelings, likes hunting, <laughs> loves sports, <laughs> you know, maybe owns leather bound books, wants to provide, etc. If someone is born with a penis and is softer, gentler, doesn't care about sports, is emotionally intelligent, that doesn't mean that they are delusional. Gender is a societal construct. It isn't based in concrete reality. So gender or gender identity is the social, cultural, and mental state of being male or female or a combination of the two or neither. It has to do with how somebody feels on the inside rather than what they look like. Transgender folks often use in terms like assigned sex to describe how a person has been referred to at birth. So AFAB is assigned female at birth and AMAB is assigned male at birth. Gender fluid means someone who does not have a fixed gender identity. Instead, their gender is flexible and may shift over time. Non-binary, they don't fully feel like they are a girl and they don't fully feel like they are a boy. They feel like both or sometimes neither. Two-Spirit, I actually didn't know this before I did, did the research, but Two-Spirit is an Indigenous person who identifies as having both a masculine and a feminine spirit. Trans-Mask is an assigned female at birth who expresses themselves in a masculine way, and a trans-femme is an assigned male at birth who expresses themselves in a feminine way. Body dysphoria, this is a big one. Dysphoria is mental anguish around how you present to the outside world, or mental anguish around how others perceive you because it doesn't line up with how you perceive yourself on the inside. So gender dysphoria is a widely recognized medical condition. If untreated, it often, if not always, leads to severe mental health issues, debilitating depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation. But gender dysphoria isn't the problem. Living as trans is the treatment to the problem. This has been categorically and scientifically proven. So some quick statistics about being trans. First of all, the suicide attempt rate among transgender persons ranges from 32% to 50% across the countries. Gender-based victimization, discrimination, bullying, violence, being rejected by the family, friends, and community, harassment by an intimate partner, family members, police and public, discrimination and ill treatment from healthcare systems are the major risk factors that influence the suicidal behavior among transgender persons. Transgender people are over four times more likely than cisgender people to be the victims of sexual assault. 50% of trans women will experience sexual violence in their lifetime. 
Transgender individuals often face higher rates of employment, unemployment and job instability due to discrimination. They may also encounter wage disparities and economic hardship. Transgender individuals experience higher rates of homelessness as it is more difficult to find a safe and affirming homeless shelter. If a trans person is also a person of color or an individual with a disability, the discrimination and disparity they face will be compounded. Legal protections vary widely across different regions and countries. In a lot of them, there's a distinct lack of legal recognition and protections. So basically, bottom line, trans people are one of the most marginalized and vulnerable groups that exist today, but a large majority of, quote unquote, the religious right still see them as a threat. So we're going to go over a few arguments against trans people, but First, I wanted to talk about some beautiful examples of trans existence in nature. Because I just think that's super interesting. Because mm-hmm. you, you often get the argument, well, it's not natural. I'm like, well, guess what, bitch? <laughs> it is nature. It is nature. Okay, so first of all, the hooded warbler. There was this case study of a hooded warbler that acted like a female bird. It was an assigned male at birth hooded warbler but he acted like a female bird for two years in a row and he participated in such activities as nest building or sitting on the nest a clownfish so if the female dies then the dominant male will sex change into a female also known as a sequential hermaphrodite born male and turn into female so it's kind of like oh there's no one to be i'll i'll, I'll do it <laughs> like I volunteer. (laughs) (laughs) Send me in. The slipper limpet sea snail. So the change occurs as the result of being touched by other male sea snails. So physical contact between snails plays a vital role in activating the switch from male to female. Cardinals and chickens can't swap sexes, but some cases of being born half male, half female, also known as bilateral gynandromorphs. And this can also happen to butterflies, parrots, snakes, lobsters, and more. So bearded dragons, male bearded dragons, can change their sex while they're in their eggs. If bearded dragon eggs are exposed to warmer temperatures, the male dragon inside of the egg will alter the course of their development and become female, despite remaining genetically male. The change isn't merely social, they resemble the other sex in various ways and can actually reproduce and leave viable eggs. That's crazy. I know, right? I know, right? Nature do be wild. <laughs> oh, it do be like that. Okay, spotted hyenas. The girl hyenas have penises. It's a hyenas. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm so funny. It's, it's painful how hilarious I am. <laughs> okay, so the pseudopenis of female hyenas is actually just a huge clitoris with a ball sack type thing made out of fused together labia so these are the only mammalian females to copulate urinate and give birth through the penile like canal oh god that hurts so bad oh thoughts and prayers so these ladies of nature have to quote-unquote retract these appendages into their body in order for a male to have sex with them so there you have it now we're going to go through examples of trans people in ancient history that's another argument. Well, this is just popping up now. This never happened in my day. I'm like, guess what? <laughs> motherfucker. Guess what, motherfuckers? <laughs> in ancient Greece, Phrygia, 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 Phryg
<laughs> right? Is it actually? Okay, it's spelled P H R Y G I A. Oh, never mind. No. Uh, okay. Well, I don't fucking know how to pronounce okay, it. Okay, try it again. In ancient Greece, PH word in Rome, there were galley priests that some scholars believe to have been trans women. Roman Emperor Elgabalus preferred to be called a lady rather than a lord and sought sex reassignment surgery. There are, are several accounts in the Middle Ages that document transgender people in the Balkans since the 1400s. AFABs, assigned female at birth, have transitioned to live as men, and these uh, people are called sworn virgins. In Japan, accounts go back to the Edo period. In ancient Egypt, all of Africa and the Americas all have third gender categories dating back to 1700. So, bottom line, not a 21st century phenomenon. <laughs> okay. So now we're going to get into the, the church of it all. Why does the church care so fucking much? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's hard. okay. So I'm going to be talking about a book called Jesus and John Wayne by Kristen Cobes Dumez. Cobes Dumez? I can't pronounce her last name, so I'm just going to call her K Money or Kristen. K Money. K Money. I'm going to call her Kristen. I can't do K Money for this whole episode. Um, but, anyways, so Kristen, our friend Kristen who we have never met, wrote this book called Jesus and John Wayne. And basically why the church cares so much about the binary and about sex and about... It basically all comes back to white evangelicalism. So evangelicals for the past 75 years have worked to replace Palestinian brown Jesus with an idol of rugged masculinity and Christian nationalism. Why did they do this? I have no fucking idea. But apparently they thought it was a great idea at the time. So the key to understanding why the church is so fixated on gender expression, matching sex and Christian femininity and Christian masculinity, barf, according to Kristen, the key to understanding is recognizing the centrality of popular culture in contemporary American evangelicalism. So, for example... The bulk majority of evangelicals may not have Nicola's level of biblical understanding interpretation, but they do know about Veggie Tales. <laughs> they may not have read Willie Jennings James's contributions on liberation theologies, but they have read John Eldridge's Wild at Heart. They may not know where the clitoris is, but they do know that they have to save sex for marriage. <laughs> this culture has been shaped by muscular, manly heroes, mythical warriors, rugged soldiers, Mel Gibson, Duck Dynasty, basically any white dude who's asserted his power in defense of Christian America. Trump. And so this whole nasty thing started with John Wayne. He was seen as an icon of a lost time when men were uncowed by quote-unquote political correctness and they were unafraid to tell it like it was, and did what needed to be done. They came in on their horses and they saved the day. Hurrah! So they had this image of Jesus that they started to mix with the image of John Wayne, and eventually that image replaced Jesus. And John Wayne is the type of guy who would not talk about his feelings, for example, question his gender, or tolerate anyone else who would. So in the eyes of John Wayne, gender-determined sexuality. Therefore, Christians think that in the eyes of Jesus, gender-determined sexuality. But this is simply not true. The very existence of gender outside of binary puts fear into the hearts of evangelicals because their theology, and thus their reason for existing and being included, depends on male and female, good versus evil, heaven, hell, etc. 
good, bad, you know. If you take away the theology, that theology, they don't have a place in the world and they don't have power in the world. You would strip their lives of meaning, purpose, sense, and agency. So they have to fit this issue of being trans into a binary because if they don't, they will no longer have an identity themselves. But since the Bible doesn't directly speak to this issue besides discussing eunuchs, there was kind of a pivot to, well, if we just make this a sin of sexuality, then sexual immorality can umbrella this whole thing and we won't have to worry about it. We can just blithely hate on them with religious conviction, basically. Many people being of the opinion that scripture allegedly says that non-binary people shouldn't exist because the Bible hasn't mentioned them specifically. Any person who doesn't punish themselves for not fitting into the binary is being disobedient to God. That's kind of the quote-unquote logic there. <laughs> so that's one argument. Go through a couple more of them, and then me and Kate are going to talk about our lives. <laughs> so first argument, why should we care so much about your feelings? So a lot of talk around transgender people, non-binary, and gender identity has to do with how a person feels inside. So anti-trans rhetoric centers around, while well, the world's not going to stop turning on its access just to cater to your feelings, basically that your feelings are not reality, and so why should the rest of us pretend along with you that you're not male or not female? First of all, what do you think about that argument? Oh, it's the stupidest thing ever. <laughs> that sounds like such an argument that, like, an old farmer man would say. <laughs> yeah. And yet I've heard it so often. So often. So often. And I'm like, what's happening? Are we all an old man that has told kids to get off our lawn? I like, guess. That's what it sounds like. So I feel like this argument lacks imagination. So imagine that you're who you are, but you're in a body that presents as the opposite gender. So everyone is telling you that your feelings are not legitimate and that you should just accept what nature has handed you, but you know what you know. And so every time you have to do anything that lines up with what society expects or wants from you, but that's in opposition to who you are, it feels like a complete lie or you're like you're a circus animal that's being expected to perform for other people's benefit. And every time you have to do this, you feel like you want to die. But if you were ever to act in accordance with the truth, or even if you were to acknowledge the truth out loud, you would automatically become a target for violence, for hate, and for fear. But you know that if you keep on as you are, eventually the suicidal thoughts are going to get the better of you anyway. Plus, feelings, emotions, like information about feelings, those are still important, even though capitalism says they aren't. But originally, feelings were emotional information designed to help you survive your environment. Feelings right? are just meant to be felt. Yes. And like, everybody has them and just... Being able to respect the people around you shows also how you deal with your own feelings. Yeah. So oftentimes when people use that excuse, so just like either man up or whatever. Just man up. That's really just them showcasing to the world that, that they, they have, have an extremely small penis. <laughs> yes, and. Insanely small. <laughs> but it also just, it shows that they have no idea how to handle their own feelings and all they're ever doing is just suppressing and being angry. Yeah. That's it. But now let's talk about the bathroom thing. So for those of you who are not aware, the bathroom thing is that they're kind of popped up this line of, you know, what if 
what if heterosexual men will pretend to be trans women so that they can gain access to the ladies' washroom so that they can sexually assault ladies. This is essentially it. Yeah. It kind of also lines up with trans people are sexual predators kind of line Yeah, of oh, definitely. Yeah, really plays that's into the, that. That's the fear behind it all that they're yeah. trying to get across. Yeah, so, like, when I go look at... So, for example, I have this friend and her husband is, like very right-wing and so sometimes when i'm feeling bored i go look at his face i don't know why i do this to myself why do i do this to myself i don't know i'm like i i i need a hit i need something to jazz me up yeah so then i go look at his facebook and so uh, uh something that he often says and that i find other people in the religious right often say is they should have left the children alone and it's like dude 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 okay so the bathroom thing while there are some past examples of heterosexual men dressing up like women to gain access to women's spaces, that is not the norm, and there is no record of that behavior increasing when there is an LGBT non-discrimination law in effect. So basically, in places where uh, trans women are allowed to use the women's washroom, the sexual assault behavior has not gone up at all. Police and school officials have not seen any unrecorded increase either. A Des Moines Police Department spokesman told Time in 2014, we have not seen that. I doubt that's going to encourage the behavior. If the behavior's there, sexual predators are going to behave as they're going to behave no matter what the laws are. And this is true. Also, if you take into account the fact that nine times out of ten, sexual predators aren't just strangers. They're people you know. So I would say the danger is not trans women. The danger is cis men. So if we were really concerned about women's safety, we wouldn't start with banning trans women from bathrooms. We would start with the mentality that men are steeped in from childhood, that women's bodies are okay for them to use, abuse, or disrespect, and colonize. Yeah, that's that's where we should start. But this isn't about concern for women's safety. It's never been about that. No, ever. Ever. Because if it was about that, then there wouldn't be any control. Yeah. Yeah. So those aren't all the arguments, but those are a few of them. Kind of what we've gone over is a very brief explanation of trans issues and identities, and it's not the most comprehensive, and it's, like, not intended to be. This is only an hour-long podcast, and I'm only a lady who Googles. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, people have covered it more comprehensively. If you want um, resources to do that, hit us us up or Google. (laughs) Okay, so, Kate, let's talk about us. Yeah. So, when were you first introduced to the concept of being trans, and what did you initially think of it? I think, like, my very first thought that came to my head was when I was a kid, and some comment or joke about, like, men dressing up as women. Yeah. And so, now, with the knowledge I have, I'm pretty sure it was more along the lines of drag. Yeah, cross-dressing got, was yes. a term that, I, that yes. I use, heard. Yes, cross-dressing, huge, and unfortunately some not nice slur words. So I remember that in my brain, but it really wasn't until last seven years mm-hmm. of when it was like, it really hit the media. <laughs> it really did. Hit that, it hard. <laughs> like, I mean, it was something I was always aware of, but it just, it, until it was in the media, then it became like a focal point topic. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I was just like, oh, I need to actually think about this more and be aware and like learn and everything. And it's so simple in my mind. (laughs) This isn't a complicated thing. Yeah. And yet here we are. 
And yet, here we are. For me, so my mom and I had, so my mom had this CD of this musical group called Four Bitchin' Babes. <laughs> and we both really liked this album, so we would listen to it a lot. And they had an album in 1995 called Fax It, Charge It, Don't Ask Me What's For Dinner. And there was a song called TV Talk on this album. So one of the verses is, I heard about this man wanted a wife and some children. The problem with this man is he used to be a woman. Now he wants a family, someone to understand. And the chorus is, I heard it on the talk, talk, TV, talk, talk show, TV, talk show. That sounds so familiar. You just unlocked something. No, I played it the other day. Oh. Because I was like, what was that song? And I, so I played it and I was like, this is so dressy. (laughs) So I would have been only like, whatever it was, nine years old in 1995. And I thought it was just silly. I was like, that's just some silly stuff that only happens on TV shows like Ricky Lake. Do you remember Ricky Lake? No. No. Like sensational talk shows like Donahue or like Dr. Fitley. Yeah. Yeah. Talk shows like that. It's like this crazy thing. Cash me outside. How about that? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's kind of what I first thought when I was nine years old. Did our church growing up teach anything about trans folks that you remember? No. No. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, in the way of that they taught there was only man and woman. Only man and, and woman shall exist. Yeah. Nature that was the only so. thing. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the same. Our church did not. But once... Were you on the Missions Fest trip when Tony Trimper was the pastor? It was in Edmonton. Anyways. I mean, I was around when he was. Okay, yeah. So I don't remember how the story exactly goes, but my uh, recollection of it is this. We were at Missions Fest in Edmonton. Our bus broke down. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> Plot twist. <laughs> I think we needed like a boost maybe, but I, for- I forget what we needed. But long story short, it was an easy enough fix. We just needed power cables or like some sort of power thing that everyone has. Yeah. I don't know what it was called. Usually power cables. Oh, okay. Mrs. Mechanical over here. Not at all. (laughs) And we thought we were in luck because it was like, hey, building full of Christians. They would love to help us. This is a (laughs) mission. This is a conference about missionaries. They just fucking love helping other people. But no such thing. So we asked everyone there, all the booths full of people, the people running the conference, and anyone, anyone, anyone. But nobody would come to our aid. Bueller? Bueller? So I completely forget how it happened exactly, but I think Tony struck up a conversation with this trans woman, or she was talking to us, and he, like, told her what was happening. And and she said, I know I'm a bleep and all. <laughs> But me and my coworkers can help you out, kind of thing. So we go with her to her place of employment, which was, in point of fact, a strip club. So that that was the only exposure I had to both trans people and the concept as a whole. Like, Christians will not help you fix your bus, but this trans woman and the strip club full of people of will. will. <laughs> I mean, people who work at a strip club are so much more friendlier. Than- so much more. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just like this sort of modern day Samaritan's tale of this building full of Christians that were too busy to help us. And then one trans person and her friends who were willing. Anyways, fast forward to when I was in my early 20s. I was a youth leader at that time. Were you at this event? The ugly dress party? Okay. My friend Becky Merkley was a pastor at the time. 
the youth pastor, and there was a youth event we put on that Becky called an ugly dress party, where everybody had to wear an ugly dress. Easy enough. And it was very fun. It was honestly so fun. And it was, you know, it was innocent, like just kids having fun and playing dress up. But people got very upset over it and kind of like accused us of putting on like a trans pride event. Oh. There was the comment that we were encouraging homosexuality. And I, I was like, I hope so. <laughs> but also, I'm just curious of where, what does that come from? Yeah. Right? I don't, I like, don't is know. Is it just the fear of a man wearing a dress is I so strong? That, I think that they're like, if a child or a teenager does have homosexual urges or tendencies, yeah. that wearing a dress would... Um, That's the switch! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's gonna do it! Ding! <laughs> yeah, so... But in retrospect, and we've had more, I mean, the amount of gay kids our youth group turned out <laughs> was not low. No, it was um, not low at all. And, the, and leaders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These super gay leaders and their super gay youth kids. God. And I know there's one, there with one person at that ugly dress party who ended up coming out as a trans woman later in life. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, it's really cute. In retrospect, knowing what I know now, it might have been the one event in some of our youth's entire teenagehood where they were given full permission to dress as they would have probably liked to dress. Or maybe once they got in a dress, they were like, oh, this feels more like me than my regular clothes do. And I think that's awesome. Did we, quote unquote, put ideas into their heads? No, absolutely not. The event may have uncovered something that was already there. I hope that it did. As I got older and trans language came more into the vernacular, everyone at the Church of Christ was very against it. Like, men should act like men. Women should act like women, etc., etc. Scriptures are clear. <laughs> except for the scriptures are not clear. <laughs> Plot twist. So then the antagonism towards trans people and the queer community kind of gained traction globally and then evangelicals started believing that trans people existing was a direct threat to the order of the quote-unquote nuclear family which as as we know has been um evangelical sort of golden calf for quite some time and but i mean that i mean i feel like the nuclear family is an idol that replaces god in a lot of christian communities trans people were and are also seen as a threat to children and to how God had ordered the world. Like if you think about everyone like shitting their pants over drag queens being allowed to read to children in the libraries. The libraries! The library. <laughs> the library. So nowadays, I would say, I don't know this for sure, but I would bet <laughs> that our church back home is probably quite anti-trans. A lot of our former contemporaries that we went to church with teach their children that girls act like this and boys are like this and if you're born with a certain set of genitalia that this is how you're gonna act i don't know what if anything the church is teaching about it but i do feel quite badly for children that are raised in very like binary enthusiastic households yeah <laughs> that must be super difficult because they're not allowed to just exist they learn from a very young age to deny or divorce parts of themselves and then they come into adulthood with body trauma and it's just like 
Well, just even the idea how many times, how many comments I've had, because I've worked in children's ministry for so long, yeah. of a parent, like if their son was playing with a doll, their parent would just make a comment. Yeah, and it's like... Or just, just take the doll away or something. I'm like, it's a fucking doll. Let us live. <laughs> I was like, and that just, to me, that just showcases, too, how these men grow up and how they become yeah. dads yeah. that don't want anything to do with babies and yeah. being a parent. Yes. And you're just like, oh, right. Because you didn't pay with dolls. No, that's yeah, not Yeah, so you don't reason. know how to change diapers because you're a man. <laughs> it's like, no, you don't know how to change diapers because... You're a lazy fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Because you're a piece of shit, that's why. <laughs> so now it's like, if you are an evangelical, you cannot support trans individuals in any way because of the co-opting of this issue under this umbrella of sexual immorality, quote-unquote. So the church that I go to now, Awaken, is like, trans people are affirmed as God's divine creation and are welcomed and celebrated. That's the first church I've ever gone to that has had that. I can personally say that our church would have gone under during the pandemic, if it weren't for our trans congregants. And they've told me how healing it is to finally be included in a church. I think there also is some latent anxiety in our church about like, but will straight people feel welcome now? And it's like, oh my God. But the, but I think that's in the minority. And it's like, yes, uh, the straight people, when will anyone ever think about them? Anyways, did you find the binary, like, girls act like this, boys act like that, hard to fit into? Yeah. What are some masculine traits that you possess? I don't know. I grew up kind of always one of the boys. I did a lot of activities with my brother and my dad, and I didn't like being in the kitchen. <laughs> and Strumming on the old banjo. <laughs> no, I probably would have loved that. I was never girly growing up. And actually, that was ended up being a struggle <laughs> mm. in in older years then, because I didn't understand how to be feminine. I've just always been like... You're wearing a skirt today. Look at you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> You've accomplished so much. Well, and I think that's the funny thing is I can dress girly, but I think a lot about me is like, I've always been tough because I'm tall. I like give off a certain vibe. So men don't talk to me. <laughs> And I don't wait to be told to do things or yeah, how to do like, things. I will figure it out. I will take charge. You're very independent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I am very independent. Yes. <laughs> These are like all things that I wrote down for me. Just... <laughs> we are very similar in those ways. Are which we is funny person? because we don't actually butt heads a lot of the time. We no, just we let don't. each other do our own things. Yeah. Easy peasy. Lemon yeah. squeezy. Yeah. I also found the binary hard to fit into, but found it hard to fit in with girls and I found it hard to fit in with boys. I was just like, out there. No musical accompaniment. Just yeah. Me. Yeah. So some masculine traits I possess are that I'm bossy. I'm a provider. <laughs> I'm a provider. <laughs> I'm aggressive slash assertive. As discussed in the mental health episode, I really have a problem with... I get very angry, like very, very angry. And it's hard for me to like calm down. And so then people are like, oh my God, she's not a proper lady. I'm like, oh yeah. Anytime somebody brings up a lady comment, oh, I get ready to punch a baby. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a lady. I'm a, I'm a, you're not a lady. You're nothing but a sister. That's from the Aristocats. Disney, you're, you're welcome. Other things, blunt. I'm very blunt. Yeah, you are, are also quite blunt. Independent, and I don't necessarily come off as soft or nurturing. Do I? 
not soft. Do I come off as tough or do I come off as like just weird? Just weird. Oh. Um, but no, you are I'm not tough. You do come across nurturing though. Oh, I do. Because you do, <laughs> you do care about people and you try to take care of things and all that and you do think about other people. Yeah. Those are all nurturing things. Yeah. But I'm like, men should also be nurturing. Exactly. Like, the whole concept of the alpha male is that the alpha male will have food for the others in his pet. And none of them do that. And none of them do that. So I'm like, none of you are alpha males. Go fuck yourself. So do you feel like you give off feminine or masculine energy? Like, if you had to guess. Oh, that's really difficult. Yeah, I know, right? I think it's equally both. Is it? Yeah. Or maybe a third thing that's just Kate energy. That's <laughs> yes. what, how I often think about myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, or I like, would say, like, when I'm going out in public, I do present myself in a way, whether that's, like, just tough or confident, where, like, I don't want people to talk to me or mess with me. Your vibe is, like, alternative girl with tattoos. Like, that's your vibe. Isn't that what alternative is? Not all alternative tattoos? girls have tattoos. Wow. Oh, and okay. not all tattooed girls are, alter- are alternative. That is true. So suck on that. You have <laughs> uh, I'm very alternative. I just love to listen to pop music all the time. Okay? Please don't judge me. For myself, I don't really know. I've had both said to me. And I feel like with the knowledge that, okay, these character traits that everyone has told me my whole life are either masculine or feminine aren't really masculine or feminine. They're just traits. Like, males can be strong and gentle. Women can be strong and gentle. Men can be angry and sad. Women can be angry and sad. Some men are good at leading. Some women are good at leading. Some men are not good at leading. Some women are not good at leading. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? I'm at the point where I can't decide if there are traits that are independently without social context always going to be either masculine or feminine. I don't think there are any. So that being said, I usually for argument's sake, just go with the culture-imposed definitions. I do feel the way that I move through the world is female, but I also feel like other because I do act in masculine ways and there is nothing scarier to me than trying to get other girls to be my friends. (laughs) (laughs) Because I feel like I don't have anything with common in them, common with them, and that they're going to instinctively know that I'm not like them. They're going to be like, get it out of here. It's not like us. Um, I, yeah, I always naturally (laughs) flock to guys. Yeah. Well, even when I'm with my super close girlfriends, I feel like, I feel like I'm just not one of you. Am I? (laughs) Yeah. I want to be, but I'm not. But then I also feel like that with groups of dudes as well. Oh, totally. (laughs) Like, I feel conspicuously female whenever I'm with dudes. Also, with dudes, I feel like we're never going to have anything in common. I don't want to talk about sports. I don't fucking care about sports. Ever. Okay. And I also feel like men are not interested in spending quality time with me unless it directly translates to something they can get for me or something they can like check off their to do list. Yeah. So it's just like, okay, well, I guess I just hate everyone. Just kidding, lol. I love my mom, first of all. (laughs) I always fit in with my mom. That's why I only want to hang out with my parents. As an adult, I'm like, the only people who truly like me are my parents. That's hilarious. My parents aren't like, are you more masculine or feminine? They're just like... That's Megan. They're just like, hey, can I buy some dinner? And I'm like, oh, I'd love it here. <laughs> this is the best group of people to hang out with. So when did you first encounter transphobia? Well, I mean, that same story of when I was young, talking about, like, cross-dressing and whatnot. Yeah. It was in such a negative tone. 
And I'm pretty sure I've just heard a lot of slang words, like from childhood. Making comments in the sense of if a boy is doing something that seems a little bit feminine, yeah, then there's always remarks. About Someone it. has to comment on it. Yeah, or just even growing up, we would always say that's gay. We would. Just we would, everything. When I'm rereading rereading my old journals in that time, every other comment is like, oh, that's so gay. I think we thought it was funny. Yeah. But now I'm like, that's so bad. Yeah. I hope, like, I hope nobody ever, obviously people are going to find my journals after <laughs> I die. But I just want to, like, put a little post-it note on there. I didn't know that I was being such a dick. I'm sorry. <laughs> so how do you confront transphobia now? I mean, I think every situation is different, but yeah, if it's somebody I know and they say something, I'll just straight up call them out. Just kick them in the nuts. I don't even feel bad at all. Yeah. Yeah, kick them in the nuts. And then if they react, I'll just say, be a man. <laughs> man up. Just kidding. None of that. But no, I have no problem calling it out. But I'm one of those people that when there is a person saying things and I can tell whether or not they'll be welcoming to hear mm -hmm. and consider another point of view yeah then i will say something yeah but i can tell straight away if they're not one of those people i'm not wasting my time i will stand up for a person by like being supportive for them yeah whether that's removing them from situation reminding them that they're valued and loved etc but yeah. i will not waste my time on somebody who's like, not gonna yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So for me, I first encountered transphobia just in church growing up, like UK, whenever a dude was soft or showed his feelings, then he was being a pansy or another derogatory term that I'm not going to use, but we all know what it is. If a woman was assertive or didn't constantly apologize for taking up space, she was butch or bossy and that was seen as bad. So that's bad. <laughs> it's kind of like get back in your lane. Okay. Now I encounter transphobia all the time. Yeah. The Facebook posts about the bathroom, the righteous indignation over the drag queens reading to children, Matt Walsh, oh, fuck that guy. J.K. Rowling, the What is a Woman documentary. Like, basically every pundit has something to say about, like, they-them pronouns. Yeah. Jordan Peterson, basically every theology book ever written. And in all, all churches and religious organizations I've ever been a part of, except for Awaken. But even Awaken wasn't always like this. There were people who were formerly part of Awaken who were part of church leadership who strongly disapproved of trans people. And I think that leadership definitely sets the tone. So my roommates experience it when they're walking down the road. People honk their horns and yell horrible slurs at them and say they don't want them around their children. They experience it when they go to the hospital. A lot of times my roommates will simply go without medical care because the staff don't treat them with respect mm -hmm. or dignity. Same with the police or going to the DMV. We're strongly a cab in this household. <laughs> I've also experienced it in my family. Some of my family are um, uncomfortable or express distaste with people out in public who may have been assigned male at birth, but are presenting female. I also have an ex-boyfriend who, after we broke up, he still stayed in touch, but then he would like constantly bring up how he thought trans people were delusional. So I had to block him. So in those cases, and in most cases, I think that a lot of, if not the majority of transphobia comes from misogyny. So we see that trans men get a lot less hate than trans women. And I think that comes from the deeply ingrained 
believe that it's shameful to be a woman. Uh, for example, crying like a girl or playing like a girl is seen as an insult on the childhood playground. Appreciating beauty or wanting to create something beautiful is seen as effeminate or not manly and therefore, you know, something wrong and odd. And I think this goes back to men being expected to always be stoic, like no feelings, and strong. Strong. And I think as women, we've been trained to not want our men to exhibit any outward displays of quote-unquote weakness. We say we want vulnerability from our men, but when we actually get it, we're, we're unsettled. Mm-hmm. And I think this is because vulnerability is seen as an ultimately feminine trait. So if someone who is assigned male at birth has been handed the strength and privilege but rejects it and wants to move towards what is seen as weakness, people don't understand. And there's this fear that society will crumble. We're scared of people who don't want to be men because if people don't want to be men, then that reduces the power structure that's in place. And that terrifies the people that hold the power. And it terrifies the people that have been indoctrinated by the power holders. So that was my TED Talk. Thank you for coming. A lot of times, also, it's difficult to confront transphobia because people are not willing to look inward to see why it is that they are so upset about it. So I, on my end, I can do nonviolent confrontation and I can talk about it till I'm blue in the face and I can have all the best talking points and all the best arguments and be open to what the other person is saying and I can do everything right but it won't necessarily make a difference. My ex-boyfriend for example I definitely just had to block him (laughs) because at a point it was like okay he said his piece I've said my piece and it would just upset me for days whenever he brought it up and he was like bringing it up every other day even though I was like I don't want to talk about this with you. (laughs) Stop it. So at some point, I've had to realize that the other person is just not willing to hear anything but their own hatred. And because of the religious aspect, they're vindicated in that. So a lot of the times I've just had to let them go their own way because I don't want to waste my emotional energy and time. That being said, I can still set boundaries. And I do, for example, you can say that language makes me uncomfortable. And so you can either change your language or I can leave. That's a boundary, but it's also, yeah, people always, like, see you as difficult when you try to set boundaries. Oh, definitely, because it makes them uncomfortable because they realize that they've either been using you or that they're being confronted themselves. Yeah. I would say making room for trans voices is equally important in the ongoing confrontation against transphobia, um, as is using preferred pronouns. And full disclosure, I fail at this a lot of times. I'm sorry (laughs) to my roommates. Yeah. But just trying to listen and learn. When I experience transphobia in a famous person, for example, JK Rowling, um, I often go the route of I, okay, so I'm not going to consume their product or whatever it is they're selling in a way that gives them money. Because if they do have a lot of money, they often end up supporting transphobic entities or like lobby groups, stuff like that. When I experience it online, I will say something. But if it's too repulsive and the person is too entrenched and is not willing to listen, I just like I just have to let them go. Just let that one go. I really try to not just quote unquote cut people out because I understand that the whole gender construct thing is just really a mind fuck. And sometimes people are not able to understand it or move past it, especially if they're older. But I also just go back to boundaries a lot. That being said, I have started to just like not give a fuck in my online interactions. I'm just like, kill it with fire. I don't even care anymore. I think because I do have so many people in my life now that are trans, I take on the role of like, well, I'm just going to bully everyone back. 
in order to protect the babies. Yeah. So how did you feel about trans people in you, when, when you were in your 20s? Who can even remember that part? <laughs> I was going to say, that was so long ago. I feel like it's you're like a decade ago. An entirely different person. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's never, it's never been a thing for me because like I see all humans as equal in my mind. And if anything, I like automatically do feel like I need to get on the defense for them. Yeah. Because, like you just said, like, must protect. <laughs> because I, I guess there's aspects where I understand what it feels like to, whether or not that's just be the weirdo or just be the odd one out, be the underdog in a crew. And so I mm -hmm. want to always be there for people who are put in kind of those positions. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't, I don't really think I had any thoughts because it's just in my mind, I'm like, okay, cool. Just some more people. <laughs> <laughs> Just people everywhere. So for me, the answer is slightly more embarrassing. <laughs> I think I think I was slightly uncomfortable and confused. I didn't understand why they were doing that. And I had no language to understand it with. And I had no frame of reference or people to help me understand. So for a long time in my 20s, for example, I had the mistaken belief that a lot of trans women didn't really understand what it's like to be female because, you know, they're assigned male at birth, they're present presenting as male, so they have male privilege. Therefore, they don't really understand the female experience. But I now understand that this was like pretty short-sighted of me and I don't think that anymore. I think I didn't know much about it and I wanted to be inclusive, but I also dis just didn't understand some aspects of it. I also felt like if people were allowed to express the spectrum of their personalities, emotions, and people wouldn't feel like they had to seek gender affirming care. I also know now that that's like completely not right. I've changed my mind about a lot of things, but I think those were things I just believed because I didn't know enough about it. Back then it also felt hard to learn more about it because gender identity is so personal. So I felt like even asking questions was kind of like a dicey enterprise mm -hmm. and like the situation would immediately become awkward. <laughs> yeah. No, I definitely, yeah. Didn't yeah. And I felt like no matter where I landed, I was going to offend somebody, be it the liberals or the non-liberals. Yeah. yeah. I guess, yeah, in my 20s, I think I was a lot more scared of my language. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know the right things to say or yeah. questions or anything. Yeah. I wanted to make sure it's like they knew that I'm an ally. <laughs> but at the same time, I was I'm like, I don't want to be one of those cringy people that are just like, I am here so for you. I'm going to get t-shirts made. <laughs> now I would get t-shirts made. <laughs> I totally would. I realized that my whole wardrobe is either like statement t-shirts or book t-shirts. So my book is either like, so my t-shirts are either like, fuck the patriarchy, or it's like, where the wild things are, right? <laughs> There's like no in-between. That is literally I, the same thing. And like when I go on dates and stuff, I'm like, I don't have anything that's not off-putting <laughs> to wear. So then I just wear my t-shirt that says, make way for ducklings. Oh my god. I'm like, would you like to date me? I have this cool t-shirt. Anyways, how do you feel about trans people now? Love them. Love them. My thought process in all of that hasn't changed. If anything, I just, I do feel a lot more comfortable in myself of how I act. Because mm -hmm. looking back, I feel like I was really cringy. I don't know if I was, yeah. but just... I don't think you were cringy. 
but yeah, I feel like I educate myself more now so that I can be supportive and I'm not leaning on the trans community to educate me. I am Amen. <laughs> I am Sweet doing Jesus. what I can. <laughs> Sweet baby Jesus. So that they do feel supported and not like in a position of having to educate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I have a lot of thoughts and feelings. Tell me all about it. Oh my god, I will. I will. First of all, I feel that trans people belong. They belong in schools and in hospitals and in churches and in the government. And they deserve our protection and they deserve equal rights. We can see trans people throughout history. So we know it's not just something that popped out out of nowhere. It's not like a snowflake liberal 21st century problem. It's always been happening. In nature. In <laughs> nature. Goulet. Ba -ba 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 -ba. <laughs> I feel that trans people are some of the most beautiful and special people in my life, and I would do anything to save them from further harm. I would hide a dead body. No, I'm just kidding. Jokes. Well, I would. Kate would hide a dead body for sure. I feel that a lot of Christians do not recognize and a lot of times outright deny the divine image of Christ in trans people, and that denial to me is one of the ultimate manifestations of sin and evil in our world. I often think of the sermon Nikayla preached on this topic where she said that the day doesn't automatically go from day to night. It doesn't go bloop bloop. There's like an hour or two where day and night commingle and we call this dusk. And I don't think it's an accident that dusk is commonly known as the magic hour. So I feel like the hand of God in creation affirms trans people and sees them as good and celebrates them and seeks to bless us with them. I've also been reading this book called The Holy Lawning by Ronald Rollheiser. And while the title kind of makes me want to bark, there was something I read in it last night that absolutely blew my mind apart in the way that it relates to the trans community. And I'm going to share it. Daniel Berrigan was once asked to give a talk at a university gathering about God's presence in today's world. And he said that he used to work in a hospice for the terminally ill. Each week he went and spent some time sitting by the bed of a young boy who was totally incapacitated physically and mentally. The young boy can only lie there. He cannot speak or communicate with his body or in any other way express himself to those who come into his room. He lies mute, helpless, by all outward appearance cut off from any possible communication. Berrigan then described how he would go regularly to sit by this young boy's bed to try to hear what he is saying in his silence and in his hopelessness. After sharing that, Berrigan went on to say, The way this young man lies in our world, silent and helpless, is the way God lies in our world. To hear what God is saying, we must learn to hear what this young boy is saying. This is an extremely useful image for helping us understand God's power and how it manifests in our world. God's power is in the world like that young boy is in the world. It does not overpower anyone or anything. It lies muted at the deep moral and spiritual base of things. Beauty, brilliance, strength, and grace reflect God's glory, but they are not the primary way God shows power in this world. What does God's power look like? How does it feel to feel as God in this world? If you have ever been overpowered physically and been helpless in that, if you have ever been hit or slapped by someone and been powerless to defend yourself or fight back, then you have felt how God feels in this world. If you have ever been shamed in your enthusiasm and not been given a chance to explain yourself. If you have ever been misunderstood and were powerless to make them see things in your way, then you have felt how God feels in this world. If you have ever tried to make yourself attractive to someone and were incapable of it, 
If you have ever loved someone and wanted desperately to somehow make him or her notice you and found yourself hopelessly unable to do so, then you have felt how God feels in this world. If you have ever felt the world slipping away from you as you grow older and more marginalized, you have felt how God feels in this world. And if you have ever felt like a minority of one before the group hysteria of a crowd gone mad, and if you have ever felt firsthand the sick evil of sexual assault, then you have felt how God feels in this world. So that's the quote, and I would argue that this is exactly how trans people feel. Christ has no body now but yours. That includes trans bodies. How trans people feel in the world is how God feels in the world. God not only approves of trans people, he is trans people. Literally. He's outside of society's imagination. He's neither feminine nor masculine, and he's both. He moves th through the world in a trans way. God's power is, in Rollheiser's words, muted, more helpless, more shamed, and more marginalized. But it lies at a deeper level, at the ultimate base of things, and will, in the end, gently have the final say. I think the exact same thing could be said of the trans community. Switch the words, God's power is, out for God's trans people are, and there you have it. Next week, tune in to hear Osi and Dino talk about their experience as trans people. It's a great interview, and it's gonna be fucking amazing. It's great. It's a great ending. <laughs> Super pro. It's gonna be dope. So we hope you tune in. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please like, subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. If you have questions or want to get in touch with us, email us at showbizbabypodcast at gmail.com. Or contact us through Instagram at showbizpod. And remember, if you've ever had your mom speculate that you might have been born with more testosterone than all the other girls, that's showbiz, baby. <laughs> <laughs>